1: It's playoff time. Big stakes, bigger promotions. Every day of basketball's playoffs, DraftKings will have $20,000 in total prizes up for grabs. The best part, it's free to get your shot at these daily cash prizes. DraftKings will be offering two free-to-play pools every day of the NBA playoffs, offering players a free shot at $20,000 in total prizes.
2: DraftKings free-to-play pools are easy to enter. Just download the DraftKings app, go to pools, and choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. All you have to do is answer a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen during that day's basketball games and track your results throughout the evening. Questions will range from which team will hit the most threes to which team will score first. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience.
1: Download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN when you sign on to get your free shot at $20,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Head to DraftKings pools page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. Promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for full details.
2: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and Buffalo Fanatics. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And we are kicking off this episode today with the very, very sad news that Buffalo Sabres legend, Rene Robert, has passed away. And to talk about his career as a Sabre and his legacy in life, uh, we have
1: brought on a special guest. So, Taylor, would you like to introduce? Yep. So we, we have uh, Kevin Pritchard. Kevin, you might know him from Twitter. Uh, he also, in the past, was uh, a Sabres blogger. He's uh, His Twitter handle is at BFLOblog. And uh, Kevin's a huge Sabres fan and has been for a long time. So we just wanted to get his uh, perspective on, on one of the best Sabres of all time. So, Kevin, uh, thanks for coming on. And uh, what, uh, what are some uh, memories that you have of Rene Robert? What do you think of when you think of him? It's funny. I was
0: trying to think when we were talking yesterday, what specifically, like, Rene Robert memory I really had. And it's not Rene Robert that stood out for me anyways. It was the whole concept of the French connection. So mm-hmm. when I was growing up, when I was a kid, five years old, and the Sabres went to their first Stanley Cup, that's really like when you start to get into sports and you're just naive and oblivious to everything except only the good things that happen, right? right? And when you played street hockey, you were if you were a forward, you were Gilles Perrault or Rick Martin or Rene Robert. That was it. If you were a defenseman, you were Jim Schoenfeld. So... memories aren't necessarily of robert although there was the russian series where he was just dominant in that game against the the russian wings um but for me it's the whole concept of the french connection
1: right obviously oh go ahead Brendan.
2: oh i was just gonna say so i kind of wanted to ask you know the french connection it is really especially for for people like taylor and myself who weren't alive to see them play they talked about and rightfully so as this kind of mythical entity you know <laughs> and I'm just kind of curious you know in doing some reading up too on Rene and, and more broadly the French connection it kind of seemed like they each had their own particular trait or skill set that they brought to the table that made them so special and the thing about Robert that I gathered and please correct me if I'm wrong but for Perot and Martin they were more Flash, whereas Robert was just kind of like that model of consistency—a bit where he wasn't flashy, but he was always going to just be there and be consistent. Would you agree with that?
0: Well, he was definitely the more defensive-minded of the three forwards. Like when he was on right wing, and he often was the forward who had to drift back up high and cover cover on the defensive end, and he also ran the point on the power play back back in those days. But uh, yeah the thing all three of those guys had their own unique whatever that they brought to that line like Gilbert Perot was absolutely the flash he was when the puck was on his stick even in his own end the whole odd would kind of stand up and kind of take notice Rick Martin was definitely the guy that had that wicked slap shot and Robert was the guy who just found ways to beat you I'm trying to think of all the goals I can remember Robert scoring. I think they were all wrist shots, but I don't remember anything. It wasn't. So Perot had the the flash. Martin had the, he, he was a fast skater too, but it was his slap shot. And for me, Robert was the wrist shot and he was the guy who kind of covered up. And if anyone was going to get in a fight on that line, it was absolutely Robert. The other two weren't, they weren't interested in that very much at all.
1: Um. So obviously you, uh, I, Anyone who follows you on Twitter knows that you're at least a fan of the French Connection. Your profile picture is young Gilbert Perot. Um, and obviously, Perot is now the, the last living member of the French Connection after Rick Martin passed away about 10 years ago around this time. Um, but what can you say about how Perot and Martin, in fact, per- Perot and Martin were probably for a long time the two best forwards the Sabres had? And you can make an argument for Martin as the second best forward in Sabres history. Uh, but what is that becoming a hockey fan in like becoming a hockey fan when that is something you can cheer for? How do you, how can you compare that to pretty much every other era of Sabres history when you're not getting that kind of excitement? How much do you think that factored into your lifelong love for the Sabres? And I know it's probably not as much love these days, but. um. (laughs) Well, I think, you know, when you're seven, eight, nine years old,
0: that's when you come into that like naivete love of you love your home team. You're, you're going to love whoever the players are. Like if you were, you know, if you're a 10 year old kid right now, you know, it sucks, but you know, you're, you're out there pulling for Eichel and Reinhardt, right? Like they're the ones that kind of craft your love for it. I guess I was fortunate in the regard that we got to see such a dominant line. I mean, hockey was even more of a niche sport back then than it is today, but you know, all of Canada talked about the French connection. And in fact, Perot was the first draftee who was French Canadian who wasn't assigned to the Montreal Canadians. So he was the first one that they broke that, that rule went away. It used to be, if you grew up in, if you were born in, in Quebec, then you automatically went to the Montreal Canadians and Perot was the first forward that they eliminated that rule for. So all of Canada was taking notice of the French connection because of their home t- you know their home province and you would watch Hockey Night in Canada and it was regularly featured and you thought that was just how it, it was always going to be and then you know the 80s came and, and you know there was a, a lot of mediocrity in the in the 80s of missing playoffs or getting bounced in the first round I guess we trade it all for that right now but (laughs) but but yeah it, it was so it was nice to come into hockey at a time when hockey was new to Buffalo I was born the same year the Sabres were born so I never knew a time when they didn't exist
2: So one thing I'm curious about too, you know, kind of circling back to the point about for, you know, for a lot of fans, they weren't alive to unfortunately see the French connection. But when you think of Rene Robert, is there any Sabres or even just generally speaking players in the NHL that you would look at as a hockey fan as maybe like a comparable to the kind of style of play that he really brought to the ice every night?
0: That's interesting because I think it's hard to compare uh, across different eras. Because the game was so different back then than it is today. Like the free skating that existed back then. And like I said earlier, when when Perot touched the puck or Martin or Robert and they started going up the ice, the entire odd kind of rose to their feet at the same time in anticipation of what was going to happen. And I don't think you see that anymore with a couple rare exceptions, right? That at one single player's one single player is going to get an entire building excited and engaged just because they have the buck on their stick um yeah i can only think of a a couple that would even come close to that right
1: Mm -hmm. and i don't even think eichel does it certainly not these days
2: right Right. very true
1: so with the the french connection like they they came together very quickly by the i think it was the third year that the franchise existed they already had it together. Uh, and pros, obviously the first draft pick they had, but Martin played for them between 71 and 80. And then basically by the age of 30, he was out of the NHL due to injuries when he was his yep. last really good season was when he was 28. Uh, Robert, uh, ended up, I think he got traded to the Colorado Rockies, for the and Rockies then, yep. for Van Back. And then I remember, right? Yeah. And then he, um, he was done by the time he was 33, which I guess isn't all that young. And then Perot, I never really thought about this till recently because he played 17 years, but he was only 34, I believe when he retired and then came back briefly and unretired. And then for pension reasons and then, but he was still 34, 35 when he retired the second time. And these days you see most stars play till 37, 38, sometimes into their forties just, you know, especially if they are as successful as those guys were, but all those guys really stuck around Buffalo and were played an important role in the organization, despite not playing here, pro aside, the other two not playing here for super, super long. Um, for one example here, I just wanted to bring up uh, bulldog, Chris Parker from WGR uh, tweeted today that he saw on Wikipedia that the driveway in Rene Rivera's home was constructed with pieces of the odd after its demolition in 2009. So the, it meant yeah. so much to these guys. And I think that obviously has to do with how beloved they were in this town and how successful the team was and what a good franchise it used to be. But I just, I'm, I'm sure this strikes you as much as me that you can really contrast that with these days. I don't play any players that on t- the current team that want out or any recent teams that want out and don't really want much to do with Buffalo anymore. But does that kind of uh, do you, do you also see it that way?
0: I think it's always interesting. The guys that stuck around from that era of the team, you know, Robert and Martin both made Buffalo their home. Uh, Fred Stanfield stayed here. Larry Playfair stayed here. Um, I could probably go on and on. Rick Sealing stayed here. You s- still see him around town. You know, those guys all stuck around Buffalo. And I think there was a love affair with the city and and with those players that, I guess the closest you can get to it was maybe like the 2007 Sabres, the way the city kind of fell fell in love with the hockey team. Um, but this was unique in the standpoint that they were they were the pioneers, they were the first guys to put the that sweater on. And I think, you know, Martin come Martin came here in 72 and Robert 73 Or I want to, I want to say that's right. Those are really the, the beginning of the Sabres history the the Stanley Cup run in 75 was just an electric time in Buffalo. And I think that love that we showed to those players, there was some loyalty that came back our way too. And that's why they stuck around.
1: Definitely, definitely. Well, Kevin, we uh, appreciate your time here. Uh, I know you have to to get going. Just one more question I wanted to ask. If you could do one thing, make one appointment, if you were in charge of the Tapers for one day, what would that change be?
0: Oh man, come on Taylor. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: you didn't give me any time to prep on that one no i just wanted just wanted to get your feeling on that you know what it would it honestly would be find a
0: way to embrace the sabers alumni and make them part of the organization again there was a time when the alumni and the front office were aligned and there was a mutual love and respect there and i don't see that anymore and i don't know if it stems from the sabers just not being good or if it's uh, the the current administration not wanting to front the whatever minimal cost that there would be there. But I think incorporating the alumni back into the everyday function of the team and letting fans see and interact with former Buffalo Sabres would mean a lot to me and I think probably to the majority of the fans.
1: I agree. I mean, a great way to do that would be to restart the, the Sabres Hall of Fame again. Um, Yes. But yeah. So I, I uh, appreciate you coming on, Kevin. Thank you very much for your time. Oh,
0: thanks for having me guys.
2: Well, again, thank you so much to Kevin Pritchard for joining us and make sure you're following him on Twitter at B F L O blog, really great insight there. Very cool to talk to somebody who was able to see Rene Robert playing the French connection playing while growing up. Um, Then he brought up a lot of interesting points too. I think just with that general you know, mutual affinity between players and fans. And that being something that's just really sorely missing right now. And it's something that at least for me as a Sabres fan in their, in their mid twenties, and I'm sure Taylor, you feel the same way as well that, you know, we got to experience that as he alluded to in like 05 to 07, because that was just like a, a complete rebirth of, I feel like a lot of people's Sabres fanhood, even though we were only by that point, less than 10 years removed from a cup appearance, but I was a huge Sabres fan growing up as a kid, like all the way back, just absolutely nuts about them. But even still like once Oh five Oh six came around, it just felt like that went to a new level and it would have been incredible to go back and just experience that in the seventies is not only, you know, not having, I guess the, the benefit of having a history of the team, just like this, this fresh thing starting off and just, Taking it for a ride. Really? I mean, it just sounds like back then it was just an absolutely electric atmosphere night in and night out at the odd.
1: Yeah, for sure. That was just a different era for pro sports too. Mm-hmm. Like guys like, like living here full time. They were like, they might've been local celebrities, but they weren't like unreachable the way they are now. Like you could see, I, that's even changed in the past 10 or 15 years. Uh, but yeah, like the way the odd was, it was such a small and such a unique building the team was great the team was exciting hockey was way more exciting back then for better and worse frankly in in terms of some lifelong injuries I'm sure some guys suffered but it's it's definitely different now and it's impossible to look at look at it as any any anything's gotten better I mean I guess you could say in the past you could probably say hey nicer seats more room now you know seats are haven't been reupholstered in 25 years and they're covering (laughs) bird shit it's, yeah, you, you have less access to the players it's prohibitively expensive to buy tickets the team's bad hockey's a lot less exciting than it used to be It, it in a lot of ways things have gotten worse and i think that unfortunately is magnified in, in times like this but i just wanted to throw out so some numbers for i'm, I'm sure there's people that pretty much any sabers fans heard of renee robert and if you've been to the uh current arena you've seen his number in the rafters with the other guys in the French connection, but just real quick to illustrate how good he was, even though he was probably the third best player on his line. Uh, in 10 years with Buffalo, he scored 382 goals and had 313 assists. he had 695 points in 681 games. Um, and unfortunately I'm sorry. I'm reading the wrong page. That was Rick Martin's page. Rick Martin was also good. Also yeah. no longer with us. Sorry. Let me read Robert's real quick. 222 goals, 330 assists, 552 points and 524 games. So an even better points per game basis, but not as good goals wise. Uh, but still, yeah, he unfortunately did not play much after he was traded to Colorado. He was traded. He had one good year in Colorado for the Rockies and then had 32 points a year. He split between Colorado and Toronto. And by the age of 33, he only had 37 points in a season and he was done. I to, like I said, it used to be a rougher sport, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, there's no other way to put it. He's one of the, one of the very best uh, to ever put on a Sabres uniform.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll be very, very sorely missed. And you know, it's one of the things that has been, in a way like interesting in a way to just see over the past you know a couple of days since this news unfortunately broke is just hearing you know similar to Kevin just everybody's first hands accounts of seeing him play and what it meant to them to to see him play you know now as you had mentioned before unfortunately there's only one third of the French connection remaining with us in Gilbert Perrault but it, it goes without saying what Rene robert meant to not only Sabres fans but to the community and to honestly too i mean like a lot of people's childhoods and upbringings you know like that yeah. uh, the french connection really shaped a lot of kids who grew up in the 70s like just their interest in hockey and you know without that line and in, in renee robert's contributions you know i think that hockey in buffalo would look a lot differently
1: for sure and this is something i wish i would have mentioned earlier when we had kevin on but the hockey landscape was so, so different when the Sabres got here. The Sabres were not coming to a hockey hotbed, even though we'd had some other pro teams. We had like the Buffalo Bisons hockey team. We've had a Buffalo Bisons in every sport, uh, but we did have a hockey team here. We had, we had some history with it, but really sure. You could play at the odd. You could play at Nichols. You could like how many, what other indoor rinks were there? There were not many indoor rinks at that time. I I remember seeing Paul Wheeland, one of the original employees. Speak a couple of years, he said that he believes there was three full-time indoor rinks at the time. Wow. So that would be Nichols. Maybe you know what I don't know what the other ones would have been. Mm. I think Holiday Holiday would have been there. Kaz used to be an outdoor rink, but right. most of these rinks did. There wasn't town rinks. There was no West Seneca Town Rink, no Cheektowaga Town Rink, DePew maybe the Pepsi center might've been there at that time. I'm not actually sure. Or, I mean, there must be at least one more, but there are so many more rinks here now. And it's despite the Pagoula's best efforts, this is one of the most hockey rabid markets in the country, not in terms of just even watching games, but we have always have a consistent amount of NHLers. We have a consistent amount of uh, women playing college hockey. And now in the NWHL, we have, probably a higher percentage than almost anywhere outside of minnesota boston of people playing youth hockey and there's there's like 15 other rinks i could mention that have opened up since the sabers got here so those guys deserve a ton of credit in that happening like you know like more than anyone else i would like to give the the credit to players first for, yeah, for what I mean, happens yeah. on the ice. So, like, obviously Punch Amalak was great and the Knoxes were great, but, like, the guys on the ice that made it happen and not just the front connection, other guys he mentioned, like Sean Feld, guys like Don Luce, I'm sure, played a huge role. Roger Crozier was goalie, I think, until, like, 74. A lot of really... Some of the most important athletes in Buffalo history. On top of that, and it is really just kind of a sad thing that he wasn't really that old, and Martin very much was not that old when he mm-hmm. died about ten years ago. So, two uh, two guys gone too soon.
2: Well said. Very sad, and best wishes to to his family and everything too, and to all the people who have those memories, like we talked about. You know, it's a, it's a really tough thing to. To lose somebody like that, that you idolize growing up and, uh, you know, we'll know that he, we know that he'll be sorely missed here in the Buffalo community. So not really a whole lot else going on Sabres wise at the moment, uh, you know, on top of what we had talked about last episode, really not a whole lot of movement on the Jack Eichel trade front. Same can be said for both. Rasmus Christelainen and Sam Reinhart um, really hasn't been anything new in the way of rumors at all, too. On top of that, I mean, the only thing I really had seen is that Columbus is involved and is pretty heavily involved in discussions. Anaheim, we know, continues to be. Um, I wanted to actually ask you this, Taylor. I think we both are in agreement here that Jack Eichel is one of the best players in the NHL. When he is healthy, he is without question one of the best players in the nhl and i've seen a lot of people specifically in talking about like the ducks for example who believe that the sabers can still end up getting a good return from the ducks if it doesn't include zegris or drysdale and then thinking about it over the past couple of days and just kind of like weighing that like if that's actually possible or not i would say independent of whatever else anaheim offers that that I just don't agree with that at all. I think that with Jack Eichel and the neck injury aside, considering the fact that every any team that ends up trading for him is obviously going to have to be in some sort of agreement with him on how this is going to go. And there's probably going to be conditions involved, I would have to think, too, with something like this, with, with the injury concerns there. But regardless of that, to it, it just feels like if you are not able to get a team's best young Player prospect, whatever, like far and away their best, plus a bunch of other capital for a guy who is a legitimate top ten center in the NHL. It seems like it's just it's a failure, you know. If we're talking about the O'Reilly trade, if you were to say one of these like supposed uh, halls that's been thrown out there, like I know Chad recently, Chad Dominicus had put out there some sort of uh, proposal that had looked like Max Comtois, the third overall pick um Jacob Perot who was a, a first round a late first round pick a couple of years back and then I think maybe John Gibson or another piece in there as well if I'm looking at that trade I think no matter what if Zegris specifically but even Drysdale if they're not in that trade it's gonna it's, it's a failure if it's ROR in that circumstance where you're at least getting like a top three pick back in return then like yeah whatever I mean it, it maybe would make the the, the blow feel a little bit less harsh, but for a player like Eichel, it, it should not be unreasonable for them to at least be getting a team's absolute unquestioned top player under the age of like 21. Would you agree with that?
1: hundred percent. Yeah. I, my, my point is Ben that they, they should be going after Zagris and the third and maybe a first for the year after. Like we all want to get another pick in that 2022 draft. Yeah, he, he's one of the best players in the league. So if you don't have a trade for him this off season, then just wait. Just wait for him to either play or. not I mean, I, I don't know. The, the the situation with his neck is another issue that I'm not really qualified to weigh. I know. Mm-hmm. But if if there's not a good trade, wait. Obviously, don't do. Don't do a trade if you can't with Anaheim if you don't get Zagros to Drysdale. That seems ridiculous. And in fact, just don't do it if you can't get Zagros. Yeah. Yeah. On the other hand, I we saw a very uh, interesting, thought-provoking proposal out there today. Not today. Sorry, this is yesterday, maybe two days ago. Oh my god! The literal
2: worst trade proposal I've ever seen in my life, and I don't think I'm exaggerating. You wanna you wanna talk about it? <laughs> stumbled across it so, for us.
1: I'm trying to remember exactly. Was it Eichel in the first for Seth Jones in the fifth? <laughs> that was it? That was the whole trade, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Or did they add like another second or something? Doesn't matter. That's the essence of it.
2: Nope. It was just that.
1: How many people out there know that Seth Jones is like the slightly less poor man's wrist alignment?
2: It's a good question, but is there, I, I, I think even beyond that, like, even if people are in denial about the fact that Jones is, is regressing right now and has not looked as good as people make him out to be like this perennial Norris contender, in what world are you going to trade a top end center for a defenseman and then also in the process move back four spots out of the first overall pick of a draft? So not only are you getting the better player, you're also getting the better draft pick. Like it's not even like you could say that's like a video game trade, because even a video game, if you tried to offer that would probably stop you and be like, what the hell are you thinking right now? Like it's ridiculous.
1: We also should probably mention that Seth Jones has one year left on his deal.
2: And Jack Eagle has
1: five. Yeah. Yeah. What, and that was, that proposal is made in all seriousness. I don't know. Maybe people overvalue him. Uh, Seth Jones. That is so. Whereas, so him and Ristolainen were taken in the same top ten, the same year in 2013. Whereas Ristolainen was bad at first, like most guys that get too many minutes, young, and then got a little bit better and was a almost passable player that made too much money, and then has drifted back towards being one of the least valuable defensemen in the league. Seth Jones was. OK, he put for the Predators at first, obviously, and then like pretty good for a few years. And he is on a three year decline to the point that he's also one of the least valuable defensemen in the NHL. I don't know why that is. I couldn't really explain that to you. It's a weird thing. He's not old. He's 25.
2: You think it could have been Tortorella?
1: Making him worse. But Tortorella was there that whole time. Tortorella was there when he was getting better, yeah. too.
2: I don't know. I mean, it's really interesting. I think the thing that I always think back to <laughs> with that draft, it, it just kills me and just further shows just how long that this organization has just been totally inept is that when Jones was drafted at the Sabres draft table, like started cheering because they didn't take risk to line in. And, <laughs> and even now, even now, like you said, he has been on this three-year decline. It's on un, unquestioned that this is the case, but <laughs> I, I, I just, lose it to think that they really thought that that Ristolainen was going to be be better than Seth Jones and and for that matter I mean even though now like like we were saying with the decline it, it's still uh, no doubt Jones is, is better than Ristolainen even if it if he has yeah. regressed a lot but I would just st- I would do comical one for one. to me
1: I would do one for one but I wouldn't give up much else besides Ristolainen because Jones is gone in a year and so is Risto. frankly yeah. they're both gone in a year. Um, I think it's interesting. Do you know who the least valuable uh, defenseman in the league is by some measures of war?
2: Am I supposed to, is this rhetorical or do you want me to guess?
1: Okay. Feel free to guess. If you have any idea, who do you, who do you think you remember? Just keep in mind, if you really want to be, if you really want to mark against value, so like build up your negative value, you have to play a lot. So it can't just be some scrub like Matt Irwin.
2: Yeah, would Yeah. I mean, did Bogosian, is, is, <laughs> no That's a good guess. That was a good guess. It?
1: Eric Carlson, who is also
2: no way
1: the most expensive defenseman in the league.
2: Man, what is going on in San Jose? I think I Carlson's
1: foot um just like never got better.
2: Yeah. But even still, like it's not even like it's just him. I mean, I know that they have some bloated contracts there and are are probably going to be screwed for a bit because they don't have much of a pipeline right now, but like they need to like figure out the whole goaltending thing because they really should not be as bad as they are.
1: They shouldn't be. Well, they shouldn't be as bad as they are, but like when they fell off, it was a little like not a little bit of goaltending. The goaltending was an issue, but they went to the conference finals with Martin Jones, like in 2019, was it 2019? So like Martin Jones was not good. Yeah. To put it lightly. He was actually very bad that year. And they still made the conference finals, but it was like a simultaneous, simultaneous drop-off. Like, they lost Marlowe and then got him back. Pavelski's gone. Joe Thornton got really bad and then was also gone. Logan Couture dropped off a little bit. Like, they had some depth, like, you and types, that are gone. And then, like, the thing was their defensemen Carlson Burns and... Vlasic. Vlasic. Kind of all trash now, and they all make a lot of money. Like the only guy that's on their team that is making big money and not screwing up really is Kane.
2: Yeah. I mean, and he's I, a very I don't know one know dimensional Because I, I don't know what like Meyer makes or him or Hurdle, but at least they still have them for like good younger pieces. But I mean, even Kane though, still like he's not getting any younger. They really don't have too much in the way of like difference makers with guys who are younger. I know they have like Kevin LeBlanc too, who's been a good like middle six bottom six piece for them but wolf
1: so you know uh tomash hurdle avenue is turning 28 years old this year
2: 28 get out of here yeah well meyer was only like 24 though right he was the eichel draft wasn't he
1: i think so let me look up timo meyer well oh, actually let me just look at their hold on freaking the mobile site for hockey reference ensnaring me in its uh trap once again oh Let's see. Do, 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 do. Yeah, Timo Myers, 24. You have 31 points this year. Coacher, 31 points. He's on the wrong side of 30. And then, like, after that, it's like Brent Burns still put, puts up points. Carlson, Carlson, he scored eight goals, but man, 22 points. That, Carlson used to be a point of game guy as a defenseman.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's not great. And he's
1: only 30 right now. Bad, tough. LeBlanc their sixth leading score. And then after that, like, you can see their depth is trash based on their scoring. It's after Carlson, it's Ryan Donato, Rudolph Balsers, Mario Ferraro, John Leonard. John Leonard, formerly of the – no, it was Jim Leonard. Never mind. Dylan Gambrell, Nikolai something. Marlowe had nine points in 56 games. Nieto only had seven points. Tough,
2: tough, tough, tough. tough. Does anybody knows that knows what it's like to be in a tough spot with a team at Sabres fans? So our San Jose fans who might be listening right now, for whatever reason, we are, we are with you.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Keep the face.
2: Keep it. Any other thoughts uh, that you'd like to share before we sign off for the day, Taylor?
1: Uh, Yes. If you've never seen it, which come on, you have to have seen it. And if you just want to see it again, watch So the highlights of the 1975 Stanley cup finals fog game.
2: Pretty awesome stuff.
1: Yeah. One of the coolest things that's ever happened in sports and it happened right here in downtown Buffalo.
2: Damn right. Damn right. All right, everybody. Well, thank you all so much for listening to this episode of straight up Sabres presented by the hockey podcast network and Buffalo fanatics. Make sure you're checking out both the hockey podcast network and Buffalo fanatics on their respective websites, along with any streaming platform that you use to check out the many podcasts that they're putting out. Also, as we had said at the top of this episode, this is brought to you by DraftKings. And make sure you're using our promo code THPN at checkout to take advantage of some great deals. So once again, use that promo code THPN. Make sure you're following us, Straight Up Sabers, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Also, you can check out Taylor and myself on Twitter. My handle is Brendan1423, and Taylor's is Nigrelli93. Both of those can be found in our Inst- or in our Twitter bio, I should say, which you could find us at Straight Sabers. We'll be back with a new episode on Monday. Hopefully we'll have some news by then on either the trade or coaching front for the Sabres. But in the meantime, have a great rest of your week and weekend, everybody. We will talk to you soon.